Good morning, marketers, and welcome to the If You Market podcast, brought to you by Mountaintop Data. We are the only podcast that markets the shit out of it. I'm Sky Cassidy, and today we'll be talking with Kelsey Johnson of AWeber about uh, email campaigns. This is part two. Our last episode, we were speaking with Kelsey Johnson. We're going to pick up where we left off. Um, she's the product marketing manager at AWeber. It's one of the world's leading email automation platforms. Kelsey, thanks for joining us again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So we have a lot to get to, which is why we made this a two-parter. In the uh, first episode, we we hit on newsletters, on lead magnets, deliverability with clean lists, the importance of, of engagement uh, in order to keep your list clean and, and deliverable. We, we got into niching your content and tagging to help you niche your content. Or maybe I should say niche your content. A lot more to go over here. Uh, where do you want to start? Um, well, why don't we start talking about um, examples of content for B2B marketers? Last time we we got into a couple of examples that were more um, product-based. And so let's get into you know how to think about marketing to the, the people that you really want to market to. Um, email is a, a direct channel to the person that you're selling to. And when you're selling to a business, you're not selling to a business, you're selling to a person. Um, so yeah, I'd love to, to dive right into that. Right. Great thing with the email is it doesn't have to be the same to every single person you send it to. You have things like form fills to personalize it. Um, but uh, unlike a billboard or something like that also, you know, you can, you can send out different campaigns to different, the niching we were talking about uh, last time. I'm just going to say that word different every single time. Um, <laughs> niche, maybe. <laughs> the, the niche we talked about last time. I, we also, we spoke a lot about purses. We'll try to have less purse talk this time and get into B2B more. Yeah, considering um, neither of us know more than one purse brand. <laughs> yeah, we still haven't got the check from them, so we're not going to talk about it anymore. Um, okay, so what, what I kind of want to get started talking about is when you're selling to, you know, B2B, you are selling something to a business. Um, a lot of the businesses that are being sold to, and probably a lot of the people listening are selling to businesses that are small businesses themselves, right? They, it is just a one-man show or, or just a couple people, and so they're really busy and you are emailing their work email. Um, but for some people, you're actually selling to an enterprise, right? It's a big company with hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands or more employees, but you're still only emailing to one person. And I feel like sometimes people forget this, that you need to think about the one person who is receiving that email, obviously not one person, everybody on your list, um, and think about what it is that they want to receive in terms of an email and what they're gonna enjoy continuing to receive at work. So not on the, you know, not necessarily on the weekends unless they're working on the weekends. Um, and for the most part, um, especially if they're small business owners, we want to keep these emails short, short and to the point, um, really getting down to, you know, here's what's going on. Here's the discount. Here's the pitch. Here's the news. Here's the story. Um, but keeping it very, very short and to the point. Um, but, you know, 
on the flip side, so I I get emails sent to me, you know, I, um, as an employee of a company that has over 100 people in it. And I really like long emails or emails containing long pieces of content that are very, very specifically targeted to me. So I recently got an email that contained um, information about product marketing, but like trends for this year. And I read the whole thing and it was long, you know, but because I am a product marketer and I want to keep up with the trends, it was so specifically and perfectly targeted to me that it didn't matter that it was long. Um, so, you know, if you've got, like we said, you know, you're, you've really got your niche down and you know what they want to hear about, then it doesn't really matter how long that content is. For the rest of us, which is probably like 90, 95%, uh, keep them short, keep them to the point, basically only talk about one thing in each email. Yeah, I'd say if you have a lot of time and you're a lover of superhero movies, it doesn't matter if the Avengers movie is three hours long, you want another two. Um, but if it's not your thing, it's going to be really tough to sit through three hours of it. So ha- yeah, having the right, the targeted messaging um, really changes how long of an email you can get away with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's, so let's talk about some examples of what you can put in your emails. Um, and you know, we've got, we've got the standard newsletter that people are sending out and it's, it's called kind of a newsletter, but that implies tons of different things. Um, and there's lots of sort of different things that people are doing for that. So, uh, one of the examples that I really like is, uh, by, I think his name is James Clear and he, he is an author. So if you're not an author, if you're not a huge writer, it's okay, but you can take inspiration from this newsletter he sends that I absolutely love to receive. He wrote Atomic Habits. So his advice is all surrounding, um, you know, your habits and what you should be doing. And he does a three, two, one, which he does, um, three thoughts from himself two quotes from others, and then one question for you. And it's so, you know exactly what you're getting every single time. And each of them is themed a little bit differently, but you know, you don't think about that necessarily as your newsletter that you're getting from the business every single time. Um, One of the examples that I really like for newsletters is to just take a piece of content that you've written for your blog recently and, you know, throw up a really relevant image, probably the image that you created for the blog post. And then, you know, really, really like one sentence, get to the point of what somebody is going to get out of this blog post, right? Um, This is research on on trends, or uh, this is gonna tell you exactly how to do this one thing. And then the person, you know, you, that in that way, you can make the subject line so specific. This is what you're getting. Here's, you know, sort of the vibe of it. And then click here and it'll take you to the website. It and also, not, I think that makes it easier to make the newsletter too. Because if you have 50 topics in there and you're trying to write a whole newspaper, um, it's just so much content to create. And then you don't get to promote an individual thing and get the attention of the people who are interested in that individual thing. I think some people with our newsletters, they think we want every one of our, our people in our newsletter list to read the whole newsletter for every newsletter. And my thought is always, no, I want to see one newsletter every quarter, maybe that there's one thing I'm going to read in there. And 
please don't have something I have to read every day. I don't even have time for that. I, I have a ton of newsletters that I probably need to cancel them at some point. It's easier just to delete them each, each time I see them. But I basically trained myself to recognize, oh yeah, I've, I subscribe for that, but I've never seen anything I was interested in. So I don't even think I read the subject line. I actually recognize the name they're sending from and just, I've like stamped it in my mind. Oh, yes, this looks like this, delete. This looks like this, delete. And, and in that way, I would say also for people to change up maybe even the from name for their newsletter and the, the subject line stuff to get people who mentally blocked you out to relook at it still every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. And the way that I like to think about it is we live in a social media world now that social media is driving the attention spans of everybody. And I mean, everybody, I mean, kids, I mean, people in their twenties, I mean, business people who, you know, somebody working in an office, they are still on social media, you know, in their personal time or maybe at work. <laughs> I don't like to judge. Um, but if you think like, think about, let's say an Instagram, it's, it's either a reel, which is a short video or a picture. And then one line of text normally, usually an Instagram post doesn't have a big block of text. And if it does, they hide it so that it, you can only see one line of text. So, it, so, and then each post is different. You're not generally saying like, here's what's been going on with me for the last three months. No, it's, I went on this one trip. Here's some pictures from that trip. Yeah. Or, you know, I had this thought, here's my thought. Think about your emails like that too. You know, it we have like, uh, one piece oh, of advice. Here's what it's about. That's in the subject line. Here's a picture that represents it. That's usually the hardest part. Um, and then here's a line explaining exactly what the person's going to get. And then here's a call to action. Do you want this? Click here. And then it takes them to the sales page. It takes them to the promotion page, whatever. Um, but you know, then they can, people can really quickly just get in if they want it, they get it. If they don't want it, they get out of there. It makes me think of uh, tapas. Basically is what yeah. the email content all is. There's no massive meal. There's no whole fish on the table. It's just all these individual little bites um, because that's what people want is individual little bites for the most part. Yeah. Uh, and coming, like coming up with ideas for that in terms of a B2B business um, should be kind of easy for you because you presumably are the expert in what you're doing. You're talking to somebody else, but you know, you know, for example, for me, I know what's been working in email marketing because I just am always in it. I know what's worked, working in terms of subject lines. I know what the trends that are coming up. Um, even, you know, if I was a local selling locally to people in the area, I know what's going on in Denver. I've tried restaurants recently that are pretty good. Uh, I could send out a like Rockies baseball schedule. You know, there's just mm -hmm. so much of this stuff that you you forget because you're so in your own life and in your own job that you're the expert on all kinds of stuff. And if you just think about one thing, put it in an email, tell people about it, and then look at the analytics. Do they do my, does my audience like this particular kind of thing? Do they like this thing instead? Is there a niche? Is there a segment group of people within my audience that particularly are interested in this one kind of resource, this one piece of information? Or entertainment, 
you know, do they want right. to see pictures? I bring my dog into work. Do they want to see pictures of my dog from time yeah. to time? Probably, you know, so yeah. you can put a Snapple they, fact in there and it's, it may, it may not be, it may be irrelevant to your business or, or the content, but if it's interesting, you can always throw in something better if you make yeah. it relevant, uh, of, of course. So a thought related to that, um, to get your content to appeal to your target audience, it seems frequently we work in the list industry and people want, here's my target audience, but then getting back to the segmenting and the niching, the nicheing uh, that we mm-hmm. were talking about in the last episode. The niche swang. <laughs> 10 ways to say niche. That'll be the name of this episode. Um, <laughs> that would actually be a great subject line for an email maybe. Um, so, one thing people rarely do that I think they, they desperately need to do more of is they'll say uh, marketing manager and up as our target audience, let's say. Okay. And they have their other criteria industries and all this kind of stuff, but they will send their message to marketing managers and up. When you think about the, and I'd say, if you have time, of course, if you only have the time to write one email message, try to make it for the entire audience and send it, or maybe just write one for a niche that, that week. Uh, <laughs> and um, I'm never going to be able to say that word again properly. Uh, write one for, for a, a, a niche that week. And then the next week do, do a different niche. But what people aren't doing with their list too frequently is segmenting it up, niching it up by the title level. So they're treating a marketing manager or a sub-manager marketing specialist title like they're the CMO and giving them the same message when responsive-wise, maybe you shouldn't even be sending to the CMO. They're too high up to bother. It's a waste of time type of a situation, going to hurt your deliverability. Um, but I think chopping by the title level, we frequently tell people that have a particular audience. Let's say they're looking for marketing manager up. We say, well, you know, in companies with, 10 or less employees or 50 or less employees, you should get the top level contact also because they frequently are handling the marketing. They're handling everything. Um, So in that sense, the marketing manager and the CEO are the same role depending on company size frequently. Um, So the company size can influence as well. And then you you get this thing where it's like, wow, you really need to chop it up a lot. Um, So I understand that not everybody can have 50 different email creatives going out. We're talking about reducing the amount of content writing you're having to do. Um, yeah, but if you can, if you can identify those different little segments and write to them specifically, um, and just send out less, you know, less emails is always good. Send out to yeah. one audience one day or one week and one another. Um, it, it's, I think that is a really valuable thing to do that, that you brought up. I, I do have a question at the end of this to so let's say you're saying, oh, I'm, okay, I'm going to narrow down to this one specific um, audience and thinking about the audience you're narrowing to, not by their title or these other criteria, but who they are and kind of what their activities are and what they're likely to respond to. Um, how, is there any trick to putting yourself in the shoes of your audience that you're writing to, to figure out what they might be interested in responsive to, are they even in front of their computer during the day? Um, yeah. like, like how can people do that, get into their mind, but, you know, put yourself in their shoes thing. Yeah. You know, we're getting into product marketing a lot now. Um, product marketers call it their different personas. We basically say different 
categories of people within a business. Um, and the ones that you describe are probably the user persona. So that's going to be the sort of lower down marketing manager, marketing associate, somebody who wants what it is that you have to offer because it's going to make their life easier. And so paying attention to the reason that they're going to care about your service um, or your emails in general, um, it comes down to like, for the most part, making sure that they their lives get easier, things are more automated, things you're taking things off their plate, things are more convenient. It's easy for them to pitch it up, you know, give them pitching points to bring it to their boss. And then those sort of higher ups are um, buyer personas. So these are the people who are care about the cost, the cost benefit analysis. You know, why should they buy your thing over a competitor's thing? Why should they buy your thing at all instead of just taking care of it in house? And so touching on what that person is probably thinking about in the email, in the pitch emails, in the, even in your marketing emails and your remarketing and your nurture emails um, is crucial. Now, don't just guess. What you can do is find some of them and interview them. Hopefully, if your business has been around for a little while, you already have these people that you sold to. And they know you and like you. And if you're a small business owner yourself, you know, they, they actually know you as a person. So you can reach out to those people and say, hey, what was the thing that made you like my business? What, what were the things in my emails that made you want to keep opening them until you bought what mm. I was offering? Um, mm. And if you sell to smaller businesses, the user and the buyer is the same person. And when the user and the buyer is the same person, that person is busy. So you need to simplify how better their life is going to be with your thing. <laughs> you know, like you buy this all the time in the world. <laughs> right. Like a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. Buy this, my thing. You can spend time with your family again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's uh, awesome. Awesome advice for people. The the different uh, buttons, I guess you'd push for different types of, of people. What's what matters to them kind of, yeah. yes. The, the intern really is just thinking about, um, is it Friday yet? Uh, yeah. When yeah. can I Don't go send to emails to the get a beer? <laughs> <laughs> totally. That's a good but point. Yes. The intern, if you've got like a free version of your thing, you know, then promote that to the people who the intern, that's a long play, you know, the intern or the, the person who just started or, and, you know, entry-level employee, they might not have um, purchasing decisions at all, but they can choose to use things that are free and they'll remember your brand once they move up. And in a large company, I mean, if you're trying to market to Apple, the intern may be the only door you can get in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, the other thing I'd say, and I feel like I've listened to a bunch of your episodes and you've said this a ton in the past, but you don't have to take it so seriously. People like, because so many people who send emails are so serious, people really enjoy emails that are less serious, that are more fun, that have pictures of the and, you know, dogs in the office that have gifts that crack jokes that are, you know, have puns in them, dad jokes, like that's the kind of thing. If it's your 
if it's your personality type, you know, it, I would it can say be really fun. I hate puns, but for people who like puns, if you put a pun in the um, subject line, you probably got them. Like that's just they're easy fish to hook with that kind of bait. Yeah, because <laughs> when talk- they like puns, they love a pun. <laughs> we talked about um, tagging people in our last episode. You can tag <laughs> the people who clicked on the pun subject line. Those are your pun lovers, oh, man. And that's really and easy to test too. Special email. Yeah, that's really easy to test. Just uh, just do a campaign. That all it is is to generate a tag. And it's, and it's just like the five greatest puns of all time. And everybody who opens that email, tag them with pun. Because yeah. people who don't like pun, I would never open that email. But people who do. Exactly. I'm a pun lover. <laughs> and then you know, very like very few people are accidentally opening that that don't like puns. <laughs> yeah. Now that's not a great way to niche your audience because it's not probably relevant unless you're like a joke writer. If you're a marketer who writes jokes, you know, then that's probably a great thing to do. But if you, you know, are a website designer or you do something that's completely unrelated, um, you are, you know, that, that's not going to help you give you any more information about your audience, but that's okay. You know, it, email is, you have to send, you should be sending a lot of them all the time, you know, at, mm-hmm. at least once a week, if you can get to it. And so if you can make the process more fun for yourself and easier and, you know, break it down so that it feels more like sending a social media post, then it, it won't be this big um, project that you have to do every single week. It will just be a tiny little fun thing. Yeah. If, if it feels really hard to write the email, you're probably trying too hard. They're taking it too seriously, trying to write something that's just uh, world changing or something like that. Just put up a stupid pun and a link. I don't know. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we've got a great, um, we've got a great customer who I uh, did a case study on recently who gets like 40% open rates. She's really, really successful with her email. Um, she is a marketer by trade. So she, you know, she's learned the tips and tricks over the years, but she says, just write, just sit down and write the one of the biggest hardest things with writer's block is like the first sentence or the first word or what to say. And you can literally change everything. Just write it in a document, but get those ideas down. And then basically you could read through it and just take the one or two sentences that really clearly get to the point of what that email is about and then throw that in the email and it'll really help you, you know, create that content and get enough of it out you know, when it comes down to it, we can give recommendations all day long on, you know, what you should put in your email, customer stories, uh, internal brand stories, pro- you know, product or new features, tre- trends in the market, all of this stuff. But when it comes down to it, everybody's audience is completely different. And you are the only one who is going to be able to tell what your audience wants by getting things out the door and seeing how they do. And I have two tips for people that feel they have email marketing content writer's block. Um, One is, okay, if you're not going to write, then Google. Just Google email marketing content for and see somebody else's stuff and think uh, you'll get some ideas there. You can, if you can't write, you can surely plagiarize and steal. 
Um, so there's that obviously. I don't officially, I don't officially (laughs) recommend that, (laughs) but you're right. No, it's, that's, it's research. And one of the things that I do is we all receive emails constantly and people say, really, you're going to send an email every week. That's, isn't that going to harass people? I'm like, when was the last time you got an email weekly from a company and felt harassed? When I get five times in a day, then I'm like, this is getting a little overbearing, but we all get tons of emails once a week. You don't even notice it happened. It's invisible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, the writing, um, the writing thing. So obviously make sure if you take someone else's content to change it, like the company name, you should change to your own name. It'd be really embarrassing if you left everything in there. Um, but the Google stuff to get ideas on, on content in general. I like to um, keep content that I think is decent. And I just have a folder of interesting content. And anytime I'm like, oh, let's put together a new campaign. Maybe I'm going to, what should I, I just look in that folder. Oh yeah, this was a real, I love what they did here. Let me do this for our company. Um, So not steal their words, but steal their ideas on, oh, they had a great, I love the way they X, Y, Z. Another one is to just start writing, uh, like you said, but just start writing what? It doesn't really matter. Again, Google something, okay, B2B marketing. First article that comes up, just start typing it, copying it in to an email thing, and it will um, generate ideas in your head where you'll be like, oh, here's a good idea. Boom, now you're off and running. Now, of yeah. course, delete the first part where you copied half a paragraph from the internet and, and, and you were just type practicing, but it helps get the juices flowing in your mind for your own ideas and it evolves into your own, own thing pretty quickly. And, and breaks down that, oh, but where do I start? Oops, those were the wrong two words. Let me delete them and go again. Um, yeah. Another thing you could do is if, if you have a customer who asked you a question, just say, my, you know, somebody I worked with asked me this question. Here's the answer in case you have the same question. Like that's, and that's educating people so that you don't have to answer that question a million more times, you know? Um, I also think it's a great idea to sign up for your competitors' email lists Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, don't plagiarize it, but get inspiration. And you, you don't realize until you start receiving these emails that your reaction to the email itself speaks wonders for what you, the people who are going to be receiving it from you think. And you may be selling a completely different type of product, but when you receive the email and you think, oh, when you have that in mind, like I watch commercials and I read emails, I try to turn off all the spam filters in my email because I want to receive everything, even the terrible things, because I post those online and make fun of them. There's just so many good ideas. Answering the question, if you can't even think of any customer questions and you should be able to think of some, just come up with one you want to answer and put that out as a question. You can make up a question. It's no problem. I've, I found, so when I was doing research for this um, podcast recording, I found a company called um, better.com. And I think it's like online mortgages and stuff like that. But I found a great email. If you need an email inspiration, there's an amazing website called reallygoodemails.com. And it's just really good emails. It's, I think it's just one guy or a couple of people who signed up for a bunch of lists and then they, you know, they take the emails they like and they put them up. Um, And what uh, better.com did was showed two people who found each other and then decided to buy a home. And that's what the whole email is about. It's not about the mortgage. It's not about, you know, them getting insurance or any of the stuff that better.com actually sells. It's the story of that person. When you say found each other, like they're dating or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like their it's like their love story, okay. you know. <laughs> Two strangers that just decide to buy a home together and be roommates. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great story, though? I mean, like, a, 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 or two friends decided to buy a house together because they couldn't afford in this market, or so you know, something like that. But taking stories, and obviously, it depends on what you sell. If it's sensitive, if you're like a lawyer or financial planner, people probably don't want you telling their story and taking their face. But for you know your business solves a problem for people and telling that story from the perspective of those people you solved it for is going to resonate with the people that you're trying to sell to because they will be like, well, those people are, you know, maybe I'm met somebody a couple of years ago and we've decided to move in together. Um, this I've been thinking about that. I'm on Zillow all the time. Maybe this is a good place for me to get my mortgage. And it, hmm. them, I, be, you know, identifying with your previous customers is a really good way for you to create amazing content. And I got to tell you, there's three lines in this email. It's just a picture of them, part of the love story, then they bought a house, and then a CTA if you're doing the same thing, you know. <laughs> no need to go into detail. Wow. I'm, I'm just picturing like women who just signed up for an online dating site are suddenly on Zillow looking for houses too. Cause they're like, I'm going to find a man. We're going to get married. We're going to buy a house. Let me find the house. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're joking, but no, that absolutely happens. <laughs> no, I, I think I, mean, I am joking about it actually happening. <laughs> um, absolutely. Um, okay. So, Oh, a little uh, callback here. You were talking about interviewing your customers to see what kind of emails might appeal to them. One thing, if you're going to talk to your customers, what I might ask them is what emails did you not delete in your inbox, but didn't get back to? Cause those are yeah. emails. And like, can you forward some of those to me? Because those are the exact emails that caught their attention for some reason. And in their particular job, in their particular persona, instead of deleting them, they flagged them and kept them. And that's would be great examples. You could get directly, great directly from your customers on the type of content that would work uh, on them. Have you seen the movie Jungle Cruise? No. Oh, see, you have to watch it now just for the puns. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is throwing out constant puns and you would love it. You had me at Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> I know, and puns. You're like, how have I not yeah. seen that movie? <laughs> my, my perfect movie. Yep, yep. And so here's, uh, I quickly looked up um, the world's best puns. I was wondering why the ball was getting bigger. Then it hit me. That's the kind of humor some people really love. Um, this is painful for me to read. Yeah. I renamed my iPod the Titanic. So when I plug it in, it says the Titanic is sinking. Okay. That's, I love that one. <laughs> that's, that's dark and long for a pun. I didn't know where it hey, was going. <laughs> um, my... Uh... My email address is kelseyj at aweber.com. <laughs> if anyone does a pun email list, just immediately uh, sign me up for it. All right. Final I'm pun of the episode. Board. How do you make holy water? You boil the hell out of it. Ba-da-dum-bum. Love it. <laughs> all right. Um, so since the population probably splits 50-50 on loving puns and not puns, I usually use cats and dogs, but that isn't really a split of like or not like. I'm going to have to start using puns as my split for whether in a, in an email, when you do a content, instead of saying do one with puppies and one with kittens, I'd say do one with a pun and one 
I guess without or anti-pun um, yeah, pun type, type of content. Pun haters. Pun haters. There's no one in the middle. <laughs> There's got to be a pun that describes. <laughs> there is a pun about pun haters somewhere. I wouldn't know it though. Feel free to send it to me. Okay. So content. Well, I feel like we're beating the hell out of content, but one thing we haven't in a good way, there's so much more to, we could talk forever just on the con- email content. But um, what about subject lines and A-B testing? I want to make sure we get to that because we didn't really touch on subject lines at all. And they are kind of the door to the email. Yeah. And they're hard um, because like you said, we're all getting emails all the time and you probably get one a week from most big companies. And so um, at least for me, I just sort of dip into my promotions tab, you know, like I dip into a Twitter thread, just check out a few of the recent ones. Um, sometimes it'll, it'll promote them up to bubble them up to me if they know I like particular brands more than others, but um, you really need to be standing out in the inbox. And again, you know, you can try all emojis, you can try no emojis ever, you can do all caps, you can do all lowercase, you can put a bunch of dashes and, you know, just try the basic things that you think might work, but they've all been tried, you know, so an inbox is so diverse now that uh, it won't necessarily reach the person. Um, I would say a good thing to look at in your target audience, it might vary for them, but it's probably pretty consistent. If you look in your spam folder or in your promotions folder, whatever your email client has, whatever you see a ton of, do the opposite. If everybody's putting emojis in the subject line, go without emojis um, because whatever there's a ton of, we naturally start blocking out because there's too much of it for us to pay attention. We yeah. have to say like, I can't pay attention to this anymore because I'm going to have to read all hundred of them to figure out which ones I'm interested in. So I'll just ignore them all. And the good news with B2B is uh, most inboxes for businesses don't have promotions tabs. So you are actually going into their inbox, but then you have to remember you are going in among, you know, internal emails, notification emails, um, re, 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 reply all emails that they're getting from other people. Um, So standing out in that inbox can sometimes be important. One of the things that I think really works well with B2B emails is keeping the subject line really short and then putting a bunch of space after it before the preview text. Um, Preview text is just, in case you don't know, it's just that little sort of description that usually runs off the side of your screen um, that gives you a little bit more information about what's happening in the email. But that negative space is visually attractive. The Mm -hmm. fact that they're, instead of having more text, like blah, 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 one short couple word phrase and then having a big blank space can be really eye-catching. Not only that, but the goal of the subject line is to get them to open the email. And if you give them enough information in the subject line to decide they're not interested, they could be not interested. But if you only give them enough information to either be interested or curious, that's what you're really looking for is curious. Oh, what's yeah. this? Maybe it's, and then, they, and then they look inside. Um, so you don't need, you don't want to sell them in the subject line. All you're trying to sell them on is opening that email. Just give them enough to want to see what's inside. You mentioned the preview field, critical field that um, way too many people ignore. I believe you guys at Aweber have a specific field where people can put in the preview for an email. Yeah, well, there's two things. There's a field where you can actually, so if you don't have a specific preview field where you can 
decide what that says, it just starts to pull information from the email into that preview spot. The top of the email, right? Yeah. But if at the top of your email, you have an image, it's pulling in the alt text for the image. So it might pull in like a Weber logo. And to me, that's always a delete signal. When I see code in the preview, it's like, oh, delete, oh, delete. The only thing worse than an image at the top of the email that doesn't have a preview specifically set is, and usually I tell people don't put an image at the top because they're, they don't know how to handle do previews, um, is when you have the unsubscribe link at the top. Oh yeah. And then in the preview text, it says unsubscribe now. Yeah. All you see is unsubscribe and it's just like, well, okay, that's like, you might as well say virus and you at the top or yeah. something like that. Like <laughs> Viagra virus unsubscribe. Let's really get kicked triple out X's. here. Triple X's. Yeah. <laughs> Never make the alt text for your images, triple X's. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, one, of a, one tip that I think is really good for making a subject line compelling without giving away, you know, the whole email's content is touching on the pain point. Um, so talking about the thing that you solve for, in, and you don't have to tell what the solution is, but the problem, if you can get to like a succinct, like, you know, are you so busy? Like, were you so busy? You felt bad getting a cup of coffee this morning. That to me is kind of a compelling, because if I was, I'd be like, yeah, I was busy. You know, what are you going to do about it? And then they open the email and you tell them what you're going to do about it or something like that. Um, But going back to testing, what it really comes down to is, you know, testing out to different subject lines. So what you can do with a software like Aweber or whatever email service provider you use, most of them have this. If they don't um, have it, find a new one, maybe Aweber. I don't know. But But you choose two different subject lines and you send half to half of your, random half your, your audience. And then one subject line to a random half, the other subject line to another half of your audience. And then you take a look at the numbers and see how many people opened the email and how many people clicked on the stuff in it and how many sales you made. And um, you can use that. It's really, really effective in teaching yourself what works. So sometimes starting with an action word, starting with like get this or um, find out this, that's starting with action. Um, You could start with... uh, you know, just like a product word, you know, like email, like try starting with email versus starting with something else. You could try two completely different things, but every single time you AB test or split test your subject lines, you learn from it. Even if it's just these two were different and the response was the same. So I am not trying out enough new cool stuff. I tweak them and try to go, then try to say, okay, what if I do two similar ones, but one I'm going to take in a little extreme or direction. Um, also, uh, I always recommend people to form fill the person's name. You should have their name in the list. If you have their name at the beginning of the email, it's just way more effective for me. When I see my name at the beginning, I pay attention. Yeah. Um, as long as you get the name right, don't get it wrong. Yeah. Make sure you actually have the names. If you have an old funky list, don't plug in whatever because there's no quicker way to get and when the email says Jack, comma. I'm like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> I guess it's not for me, so I don't have to look at it. Thanks. You can set yeah. up um, you can set it up too so that if you don't have an email for that particular contact, you can have a fallback word. So sometimes yeah. we'll say there. So hey there, hey Kelsey, mm-hmm. or friend. 
It depends on your voice. Sometimes I feel like people overuse friend, don't they? You know, hey, friend. First of all, my actual friends don't call me friend. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, friend, here's a link. Please click on it for that thing we talked about. That's that's the uh, Instagram DM that you know is not your actual friend and their account got hacked. (laughs) Yep. Um, but yeah, test it, test it, test it, test it. I did a, a bunch of um, A-B testing when I was sending out the newsletter at the end of last year uh, before somebody else took, took it over from me. And I tested emojis in our subject line. And I got to tell you, it doesn't matter. It did not matter for our particular customer base, whether there was emoji there or not. It didn't resonate with them. It didn't turn them off. And so now we just use them when we think it's applicable and we don't you know, overthink the use of emojis. Personally, when I see a string of emojis in a subject line, I cannot delete it faster. I just, uh, I do business emails and I'm like, it's, it's just like somebody's personal life being in a LinkedIn post, like you're in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, But I also don't like puns. I I see everybody's different. You got to try different stuff. Yeah. Um, And, and I would say um, you try two subject lines and they work about the same. Or even one works better than another. And this is where usually when we A-B test subject lines, we don't A-B test drastically different ones. We A-B test variations to the same subject line. Because when it's a variation of the same subject line, then you can say, I'll use this one instead of this one. But if you use two very different messagings, those are targeting different types of people, again, with our niching. Um, So, hey, do you like puppies? Hey, do you like kittens? Which one works better? It's like they work on different people. Or do you like puns? Do you hate puns? Uh, They work on different. Um, So really the A-B testing is, I think, most effective when you're testing for something similar but different. So you know which version of that is better. Because again, with emails, it's great. You can send a new one every week or twice a week. So you get to keep testing different stuff. It isn't like, but if I don't get to use these two subject lines, I never will again. No, the next week you can use variations of that one and variations of this one and variations that guess what you need regularly for email new content constantly so don't worry about not being able to get to your content or not being able to use it i'd say um think of a what you think is a good subject line and then make a variation of it and frequently we'll just do first name subject line without the first name subject line i say frequently we used to do that and then we figured out that the first name always wins and we just stick with that one there you go you don't even have to do the work yeah. I did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you have the first name, we're a data company, so we have it. But you do get the response back sometimes. I'm not Stephanie. Go away. Like, okay. Yeah. Well, and but on on a um, email list that you have that's opt in, like um, the kind of email list that you'll have in a Weber, um, not cold outreach. The person presumably signed up. So not only did they give you their name, they gave you the name that they probably go by. Yeah. You know, I would still say Samantha, they might have yeah. given you the name Sam, and that's even better. Check those because I've, we've cleaned people's data, and so often they'll give us their newsletter list to, to clean. And people put their full name in the first name field, or there's all these these terrible things where Some you're people like, this just doesn't have their belong. caps lock on all the time, too. Yeah, the caps locked they'll just, on. They'll just give you their name all in all yeah. caps or all lowercase, and then you email them and they're offended you didn't capitalize their name. Like, well, that's the way you put it in, man. But you can, it's pretty easy. You know, you're probably not getting 10,000 new newsletter subscribers a day. It's pretty easy to review and, and punch up that. So you make sure when you do reach out to them, they're getting something that um, doesn't seem bizarre to them, even though they're the ones who entered it. 
Yeah. Um, I want to just touch on one more thing before we finish up content, um, before we just bang on it. We're, we're marketers, so we love talking about content, obviously. Um, if you're, if what you sell is anything visual, if you've got any good visual representation of what you sell, put that in as many emails as possible. I mean, if you think about Apple's emails, if you've ever gotten an email from Apple, they, it's all visual. It's just a, a super cool picture of the thing that they sell. But even if you sell, you know, anything or, you know, anything that can be visually represented, try to get as much of that imagery in there because it is, it resonates with people so well. Oh yeah. If it's a physical product and they can't see it, it's what's, what are you doing with your email? Um, yeah. Physical or a digital product. Oh, right. I would also say uh, in the, the content um, tips uh, category to, you may have like a template that you got in your email platform. You're in a web or you're using their template it's this great newsletter template has all this HTML formatting. Try a regular email. Like when you just open a new email to send to somebody and you type it in and it's got your signature line at the bottom and it's just text, you know, maybe you add an image and stuff, but it's not so highly formatted with all these margins and all these, everything's everywhere. Try doing an email like that every once in a while. Um, you'll probably be very surprised at how much more receptive people are. I and it probably depends on the audience, but I personally um, typically quickly trash an email where I think I might be interested. And then once I see the content of the email, I see it's got that heavy newsletter HTML formatting. I'm like, oh, it's a junk newsletter. Let me get rid of it. I thought maybe it was an, an email from a client or something like that. Nope. Um, so going with that, it's not actually plain text. It's still HTML, but it's not heavily formatted uh, style of email can be very effective sometimes. It's probably 99% of the emails that we send out are, are that kind of a style. Yeah, make, make sure you have a good call to action on those too, mm. so that if you are sending that out, that tends to be more of a sales type email. Um, there's the, the heavier design ones, the prettier ones have their place and it's, it's kind of marketing. It's getting somebody excited about things. Um, but making an actual pitch tends to be more popular with those plain text emails. So make sure you've got in there. If your pitch is consultation, get your consultation link in there. I love, we're, we're going to talk about tech stack in a bit, but I love Calendly or any of those scheduling tools. Make sure that that person can sign up if they're interested um, immediately or send them directly to a targeted sales page where the, they can make that purchase or whatever it may be. Um, that tends to be effective an effective way to use those plain text emails i'll include a link in the show notes for this show and we're not there yet but um to some tips we have for for email content for b2b lead gen email content specifically and one of the things is hey if your content's long no problem but you can't have the call to action on page three of the content like it needs to be first half of a paragraph, boom, call to action. you got to get it in there quick or you're just going to lose so many people that are actually interested but can't be bothered to dig through your content to find the schedule a call or sign up for the webinar or whatever it is you're trying to do. Um, and I didn't want to make it sound like I'm against the HTML heavy format emails. They have their place for sure. You know, you're inviting people to an event. There's plenty of things where that actually lets people know, hey, this is legitimate and not just a quick fired off email. Um, 
type of a type of an email, you know, you want to put images in that can really help sometimes stuff like that, but you got to have that call to action quick. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. I want to make sure we can get to all the juicy stuff. So many things to get to in email. Um, you want to get to email fails then we could throw some yeah. tips in there too, but yeah, I got a cut. I got a, an example of something, somebody that did something really good. That's one of our customers. And then I've got, I've got one email fail that kind of turned into a success story. And then I don't know if you've got one mm. too, but, um, I've seen our, that as of, a, as an intentional content. And we did one, one time where we messed up the, um, the email on purpose, like uh, faked messing up the form fill to make a point in, in the email. Um, but yes, you can, you can mess up to get somebody's attention in an email. That's a, a type of creative you'll see every once in a while. So um, it, it doesn't garner a lot of trust if you do that. So I wouldn't yeah. do it over and over, but it's tough um, to pull off. Yeah. It gets attention, but maybe not, maybe not trust. I mean, well, I think if you were continuously doing that, you have to hang a lamp on it when you do it. We were like messed up the, the, the grammar and everything intentionally in the email and then pointed out, Hey, yeah, we did that. And here's why, um, you, yeah, you right. can't do it. Uh, the old, the sales trick I taught used to teach people of, um, spilling your coffee, fake spilling your coffee at the beginning of a call. Cause it takes the person out of the, is this a sales call and should I hang up mode and makes it to do a, Oh, this is a human being. What's going on with them. Um, if you do that on every single call, it, one, that is a trick. Okay. That's manipulation. But if you do it on every call, you're going to call the same person twice and they'll be like, wow, this guy spills the coffee every time he is a freaking con artist. Um, so yeah. make sure that you do your cons few and far between, I would say. <laughs> Wise words. We're never spoken. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what my favorite um, email fail happened, I can't remember. It was maybe last year or the year before. And it was a blank email sent out by HBO. Uh, I can't remember the subject line, but it was something like, you know, or, or maybe it was even just like subject line. And then the email blank email was sent out and it was sent out to half of HBO subscribers. So <laughs> a lot of people. Um, and then the email that they sent afterwards saying, you know, the, they didn't publish this or anything, but I'm sure the email they sent afterwards saying, listen, this was a mistake. And they actually called out the person in that email. They said, this is, it was one of our interns who's learning our new systems. And they accidentally sent this email out. Now this went viral. There was an enormous amount of people on Twitter who actually were talking to the, who tweeted to the intern saying, hey, intern, when I was in my first job, and then they'd talk about the mistakes that they made when they were earlier on in their career or the mistakes that they made recently. And it was like, again, it was clearly an accident. Like, I, I don't think anybody could have known that that would go so viral. Um, and so many people would stand up for the intern instead of <laughs> allowing HBO to, to throw them under the bus. But I, it's my it's my favorite email fail because like you said, it ended up being like the kind of marketing campaign that marketers dream of in terms of like going viral. Yeah. And I love that. Um, when you own your fails, you can turn them into successes too. Cause it makes you human, you know, yeah. oops, we screwed up on the form fill in the last email happens to everyone. I'll post on LinkedIn email fails regularly because I get them all the time. And it's kind of a, hey, be careful you don't do this. Um, but occasionally I will point out, you know, 
anybody who's done marketing for any period of time, email marketing, has done every single one of these things. We have all accidentally messed up a form fill, moving from one email platform to another, and they use a different format, and you copy and paste the content over as a classic one, and you think you have the form fill fields in there. It's just not the right code for the current uh, email platform. We've all done all of these mistakes, and unless there's something terrible and deceptive, in which case I wouldn't call it a fail. I would just call it bad. It's nothing to be terribly ashamed of. Just don't keep doing it over and over again. Uh, try, uh, you know, you learn from it. But yeah, that that example of turning that around. I mean, did they even turn it around, or did it just happen naturally? The, uh, they sent out the response email. But was um, the response was throwing the intern under the bus, and then people yeah. came to his defense. And then so people they, came to his defense. I don't know if they did that intentionally. I mean. That's you just, I just don't know if you could know that people would react like that. Yeah. They're like, Hey, this is Steven, the intern's fault. He's an idiot. Uh, I mean, they got attention for it, but I'd say their attention is that negative for throwing the intern under the bus. And he yeah. uh, weirdly got a bunch of sympathy, but I don't know if his next job was like, Oh, you're the guy who screwed up and got a bunch of attention for it. Unless that was a planned sequence, which would be really hard. Like you said, to guess that that was going to click in that way. Um, that yeah. that is an interesting it's, if you try to curate that it usually doesn't go right so <laughs> and when yeah. it goes wrong it goes real wrong but yeah that's my favorite fail um one thing i really like to just mention to everybody is whether you are just a one person uh business or small business or even just a person who sends emails in a bigger business you are still a person and one of the best, we're going to talk about trends in a bit, but one of the best things that you can do is remind the people receiving the emails that it's written by a person, that there's a person behind the system. People are just, it's resonating with people so well right now, um, almost like a kind of underdog thing. You know, I'm not Apple. I'm not, you know, Aweber. That's a corporation. Yeah. That's a company. I am Kelsey Johnson. I've got a dog. I live in Denver. I am a terrible speller, even though I got a degree in English literature. I cannot spell worth a damn. <laughs> a lot so of the happy. greatest, a lot of the world's greatest writers had, uh, or maybe not a lot, but many um, famously were terrible at spelling and grammar. And that was just part of their style. And it was just like, oh yeah, this guy doesn't know how to write a complete sentence, but boy, is he fun to read. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Some Jack Kerouac. Yeah. <laughs> this sentence is three pages long. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Andy Kaufman is writing all your email content or something. But hey, as long as it's entertaining, as long as it's good. Um, one fail that uh, that I see that I posted about a while back here is, um, oh, first, what you were just saying. I'm sorry. Um, writing from a person. Yeah. Apple has the brand and that's great. They have all the benefit of the brand, but when their emails can come from an actual human being instead of like Apple at um, coming from the corporation, then you can write from a person to a person too. Uh, I see companies writing from their company sometimes like nobody wants to hear from a company. I'm sorry. Yeah. Even if you have to make up somebody within your company to have as a name, uh, you do, for some reason, you don't want to put your own name in the email. It's got to come from a human name. Yeah. Um, so the fail that I saw here. Um, isn't one of, of grammar or anything like that. It's just the content itself. And this is one we've all seen tons of times. There's all kinds of variations of this, but um, 
The email starts out with, I hope this email finds you well. I'm out. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, probably the I hope part was as far as, as, far as I, I would have got if I wasn't looking for email fails. And then would you be interested in A? It's like, okay, if you'd remove the first one, you then backed it up with a second immediate delete to make sure nobody got through. Unless your goal was to send out a bunch of emails and get no traction, you're just putting one line after another to assure that the person never reads the rest of the email and doesn't, doesn't get to what you actually want to say. And it's like frequently you can look at your email and say, if I remove the first sentence, does it still work? Okay. What about the first half? What about the second sentence? What about the third? Just keep tossing out those, how's the weather today? I hope you're doing well, blah, 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 blah. All these introductions are completely unnecessary waste of time and kill your emails, immediately throwing them out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have a specific example of this, but also if you copy and paste certain text into an email and it's formatted differently, even slightly, that is a Ooh. very, very noticeable mistake. Yeah. I've had people that I've, uh, friends that have been on their newsletter and they, I'm sending it and every time I respond back with, look, even if it's just the name, sometimes the form fill, so you won't notice it. It's in a different font size, anything, it jumps out, especially if it's a form fill. Cause they're like, that's weird. Everything that's specifically about me is in a different font and size. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. It's like, it's like the, uh, the overlay voice, like, uh, <laughs> thanks for joining our list, Kelsey. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We're so happy that you decided to join us from Denver, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. It's like form fill allows you to overlay in there, but then you found a way to make it the overlay voice completely <laughs> like went out of your way to do it. Um, yeah. Totally. And you know what? So we're, so, you know, we're kind of conflicting ourselves here. We're saying, well, send an email every week. Don't be too serious about it. You know, get stuff out there, but don't make this mistake. Don't make that mistake. And the quick solution to that is send it to somebody else before you send it out. Don't just send it to yourself. Although you should send it to somebody else, somebody in your business, even, you know, your partner or friend or something like that. Hey, can you just take a quick look at this? And, um, then that will help you avoid some of these problems. And not everybody has time for that. So you will sometimes screw up, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would send to myself or you'd proofread yourself and you don't realize you're auto reading the right thing instead of what you actually wrote. It happens all yeah. the time. Every time I totally. don't read over an email myself, I catch five mistakes in it. I'm just yeah. like, and if you make one of those big mistakes, I'll tell you, because I have made the mistake of having the font be different for the personalized aspects. Uh, you don't do it again. <laughs> so you learn <laughs> and then that's yeah. just the one time you do it for the rest of your life. So <laughs> yeah, if you want to make sure you never do it again, like <laughs> you want to really learn uh, bandsaw safety, chop off a finger on purpose. You will never get them close to that saw again. Uh, <laughs> that's great. But so I'd say you're going to make mistakes. The whole thing of turning mistake around into a positive, it really depends on the size of your list. But, and if you have a larger list, then you probably have a, a team that can follow up on it. Let's say you mess up on the form fills or something like that. I would recommend people try to do a personal follow-up on some of those because again, you might, you might get traction now when you mess up on it. And it's obviously this automated message, but then you follow up 
with an actual one-to-one email to that person saying, Hey, Steve, I realize, you know, Hey, we all make mistakes last week. You may have noticed that uh, I looked really stupid in this email. I guarantee I won't do that again. Anyway, I would love to talk to you about, or something like that. Um, and something like that could even be done as a, uh, I don't know, try to put some proof of life in the email. So they do know it's not an automated one that you just did better this time. Um, but I would recommend trying to follow up in that sense, or even having your salespeople call these people knowing, hey, here's what we did. Boom. Call these 10 people and see if you get traction. Uh, you so humanize yourself when you point that out and, and then actually reach out in person. They may say, can you do more of those? I, I have really good success when you screw up and then I get to point it out in a call. Um, so you can turn it around that way too. The email after the mistake email is going to, it's just going to be the best opened email you've ever feel like you just can't ever get back to that level. It's crazy. One more fail. Um, We talked about the images at the top, but them going into the preview area is a problem. Yes. Another problem is many email clients don't preload the images um, because that the default setting on a lot of the clients is don't preload the images. Marketers use that to track you. Um, and to save on space and all kinds of stuff. So you just see this blank box with some text in it. If you have a massive image at the top of your email or two, frequently it can be that when they open the email, that's all they see. They have to scroll down to even get to any of your copy. That's not happening. Not scrolling down to get to the copy in an email or all I see is is just empty image boxes. So try to keep those images um, small and have some text above them in some way um, so that you're not just filling the whole screen with blank image boxes for a lot of viewers. Yeah. And it was popular a couple of years ago to have an entire image as your email, because then you can have somebody design it in a design tool and have it look perfect and all the text is in the right place. Uh, That's absolutely don't do that for a couple of reasons. First of all, like you said, you know, anybody on your list who's got slow internet is maybe not seeing that in within their attention span uh, or any, they're not seeing anything. They don't even have a call to action to click on. Um, and it can just not render properly in certain email providers. Um, people are still using some of the older ones and it doesn't always work out that well. Um, and what was the last reason? Uh, spam. It's, Spam filters. It can, it can go to spam because yep. it looks like spam. Um, and it also looks bad on a mobile device. Mm. You know, I think it's over half of people actually read emails on a mobile device these days um, instead of a desktop. Now that might be a little bit less for businesses because people are sitting at their computer, but a lot of people are still reading those. If they can't click on a thing. If they can't read a thing, then it's just a bad experience for them. Yeah, that that's that is way swings the other way for business. Um, it's it's I can't remember the exact numbers, but we see it all the time. Probably seventy something percent plus are still on a a non mobile device. I guess I'd call it. Um, so you're you're pretty safe not making your emails primarily for mobile devices with business, um, but it should work with with both. Yeah, and the images. Try making an email creative all image and see how poorly it goes. Uh, The spam filters just see that and say, oh, you have a bunch of words in here that you don't want us to see. So you hid them in an image. 
that's that's why they started filtering images that way is yeah. uh, all the Viagra ads were just like, well, we can't put the word Viagra in an email and get it delivered anymore. So we'll put it in an image and, and now we can get it through or every all the words, the free, the buy, the all the keywords that get you um, get you identified as, as spam and as an ad. People just started putting in images. And then they yeah. said, well, if you image too much of your email is image, if the image to text ratio is off, then we're just going to suspect it as spam. Yeah. And if you put text in your images, you, you know, obviously we said use imagery. That's great. But don't put text in your images because, again, on those mobile devices, the image is going to scale down and the text will scale down with it. But if you're using an email marketing tool, it will make adjustments to make the other text, keep the other text bigger so that it's easily readable and it just looks bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't render well. Like it just doesn't, it's, it's probably not going to be crisp and viewable nicely. Try to keep the images, images and text text. Yeah. There's so many things you can do wrong. We can't cover them all, but the good <laughs> news is again, you get to send another email tomorrow. So you can, yeah. you can get better. You can make up for it. You can try something else. Um, keep moving things around. And make sure you open your own emails so that if you do make a mistake or not even a mistake, but you just do something like put text in an image, you didn't realize it. You open the email when it gets delivered. You can be like, all right, not going to do that again. And then you learn from it. Oh, God. Yeah. Seeding yourself. Make sure you send, include yourself in your list. Open Absolutely. that email. Scroll. Click the links to one. Make sure they actually go through properly. But um, also it trains the email filters that it was a legitimate email. Every time somebody gets your email and, and deletes it without looking at it, the email filters learn, this was probably junk. We shouldn't put it in the inbox. Every time somebody clicks on it, and this gets back to what we talked about in part one, the deliverability and the interaction is actually really key to deliverability because now so many of these platforms, you know, Google and, and Office dominate the... Um, the email world for business to business and they track everything that goes on in those inboxes. You know, if you're going to some random email provider somewhere at a business, then they're not going to know whether somebody opened or clicked or deleted, but a high percentage of emails are going to those companies and those companies are using the email activity, whether somebody scrolls down on a long email or not, whether they click, whether they open, um, where they move you out of the junk mailbox all those things help or hurt your deliverability in, in the future, which is why that, you know, having good content is so important. And then, you know, if it goes to your junk mail, move it out of your junk mail, for God's sakes, help yourself out. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. One thing I want to hit on, we're, we're not going to do part three, not, not right now. Anyway, <laughs> I think we can get through this. One more thing I, I wanted to make sure we touch on is what's coming next. What is the future for email people as far as tricks, as far as, well, not tricks, as far as like, like I don't know, new features and stuff like that. I know um, there's, there's always new things coming out uh, in email, but just the viability of email itself. You know, it's been an ultimate channel for a long time now, but the social medias are encroaching. It's getting less and less effective. Yeah but it's getting more and more popular with people who only have social media channels because with email, you get to own your audience. You get to 
control when you send things out and how many people see it and nobody can shut down your account like they can with social media. So it's a really good supplementary and almost insurance policy for us, just a social media platform yeah. itself. There's no um, algorithm change that suddenly your messages don't get. I mean, there is the inbox stuff. Well, and that's part of what they're, these platforms are doing. Honestly, the, I, I see it and they are trying to diminish the effectiveness of email. Uh, because if, if you're, you can't use email for marketing as much, then you need to use their platform, which you pay for. You don't pay them for, for your email. Uh, yeah. so Google's not really huge on, well, they're not a lover of, of email. It doesn't do much of anything for them. They'd love it if you needed to go to people in AdWords. Uh, so I say it's diminishing. It's like, it's no longer 90, the, the super most effective thing. Now it's just the most effective channel still. The yeah. owned aspect of it is why. Yes. Owned, yeah, absolutely. Owned and controlled. All right. So let's talk about what's coming up next. So for this year, the huge word that everybody, all the nerds are talking about is personalization, which we talked about a little bit in terms of adding somebody's first name to the subject line um, to when you talk to them in an email, but you can actually do a lot more with personalization like what we talked about with the puns, where you are actually specifically targeting content to a group of people in your list who you know that will resonate with, or telling them about a certain um, feature or service you provide, but only the group of people who actually will like it. Um, same thing with you know buyer and uh, user personas, uh, sending the content talking about how this is going to make your life easier to the users and talking about how your, the cost benefit analysis is, you know, really great for the company itself to the buyers. Um, and being able to really take that, you know, we, th we think about it. If you think about it in terms of the emails you get, it's pretty easy to see. Um, but you know, like if I, I, I shop for books all the time, total book nerd. Um, and so I get emails with book recommendations. I like thrillers. So I get emails with recommendations for thrillers books, you know, because uh, Amazon or wherever I bought it knows that that's what I like. So that's what personalization is. It's being done on all different kinds of scales, but it's available to everybody now because of things like tagging and, um, and specific custom content, which is a little Cody, but you I feel like we're going full circle here. Yeah. <laughs> Back to tagging. So the, I mean, Amazon has big data that they use for this, right? They have all these data points to, to recognize what to send you information on. Most of the companies using something like Aweber don't have that. They have the tagging that they can do. Is there, are there, there's, there's form filling they can do from, from the information they have on the person is there any other mechanism for personalization um, for your average non-big data accessing company, or is there any yeah, coming? We, we talked a we talked a little bit about that um, in the in the previous episode. You know, there's information that's just accessible um, based on their email address itself. So you can actually get somebody's location without them telling you where they're located. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's not a lot of that um, super accessible um, without really asking 
for, for the group of people. Um, what you can do is connect a platform like Aweber to your sales tool. So um, Shopify or Etsy, if you've got a store like that, or even PayPal or Stripe, whatever it is that you're using, and you can group people together based off of the things that they've purchased already. Um, if that makes sense for your business model. Uh, and all of that stuff is already available. I actually don't know what's coming next. So we'll have to circle back. Um, oh, crystal ball. Come on. What about something like, so you mentioned, um, you mentioned, now I have to try to remember what it was you mentioned. This is a, this is a fail for me. I'll have to make fun of next week. Um, so we're talking about the personalization and, and you want to be able to, you're thinking personalization in tagging in their specific preferences for your product, but then you mentioned geography and I think, oh, is there a function already or when, when would one be coming where yeah, somebody's geography can be identified probably from within your platform. Once you're emailing them, you're going to get signals back on where their IP is from, that kind of stuff, which then is tied to a geography. So one way or another, you could, you could nail down their geography and then something could be plugged into the email. That's just like, here's the weather and you're where you're at today. Yeah. And that's, and that's available now. Um, you do have to code it a little bit, but you can pull in those dynamic elements. It's basically a dynamic element. Mm -hmm. It's a, um, source where you're getting the information of, you know, here's the weather in Denver, here's the weather in LA. Um, and giving it to that person. Um, another thing you can do with geography is if you're selling worldwide, you might want to put your email in different languages for say Latin America so that they, you know, there, there's those translates and stuff like that, but it might be a nice touch to have something a little bit more um, targeted towards a Latin American market, or potentially you have um, pricing differences in different countries um, just because you figured out that certain prices work better in certain countries and you can personalize that. Um, what about simple things like time zone? You say, I want my email to go out at 1 p.m., but 1 p.m. where? Can yeah. you identify time zone and have it go out 1 p.m. for each time zone? Yeah, you can, you can send it out at 1 p.m. or 11 a.m. for that person's time zone too. Right. So that's that's some kind of cool stuff um, that's available. Dy dynamic elements. So something like, hey, the weather where you're at, because we know this. Can dynamic elements be programmed based on a tag? So you're saying, if they're a pun person, put this content in, like your own dynamic element, not pulled weather pulled or something like that. But if they're a pun person, put this content in. And if they're a no pun person, put this content in type of a thing. Yeah. And that's actually, we call that custom content. So it's basically, and again, it's a tiny bit Cody, but very, very easy to learn. I don't know how to code and I can do this, but it's, it's an if or then. So if somebody has this tag, uh, pun lovers, insert pun mm -hmm. or else if they don't have that tag, give them a normal joke um, or, <laughs> you know, or just exclude that certain section. But that's really, really powerful because then you don't have to build two separate emails um, for the two different audiences. Another thing that you talked about in terms of dynamic content. Now that's something that's here and also 
going to be increasingly popular as it's easier to use, but it's already available for um, AWeber's platform and in a lot of the email providers that, you know, people receive email on. And that's like things like doing a poll within the email itself. So mm -hmm. having a little poll box and saying, did you like the content of this email? Yes, no, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> yes, no, yes, again. You want to go steady. You know, no, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but then the person clicks it and then they see without ever navigating to a new platform, they can see 68% of the people said yes, you know, 25% of the people said no, whatever. Um, and that's kind of a cool, really engaging thing that people can get. You can do that with like buttons like you get on social media. And you can actually even use that now, right now to put an entire online store into your email. So instead of having different products that people can click on and instead of, you know, having them open up new pages, you can create what is more or less a website or store within the email itself. So somebody can, you know, if you sold furniture, say, um, somebody could go in and search for patio furniture and then within the email itself, have your content, you know, your website's products populate with the patio options. And again, that's, it's all um, getting easier to do for just, the average person who's not, you know, an email coder or anything like that. We actually had someone at AWeber on this show uh, probably a year plus ago um, talking about that as it was rolling out. There's a specific name for it. Can you remind me? Yep. AMP for email. AMP, AMP for email. AMP yes. AMP for email. And um, Yahoo just recently enabled that for their platform. So if you're sending to anybody who uses a Yahoo email, they can see that in there too. And I think it's enabled for uh, Gmail as well. That is crazy and cool. It sounds like it's, it's still a future thing in that um, very enabled for consumer emails, but it sounds like it hasn't quite got to the point where it's probably something that the majority of business emails can handle yet could be tested. And it sounds very, and for the ones who can, it would be very cool. You want to get people to yeah. interact. That's uh, that's yeah, an interesting keep an eye out for it. I think it's easier for people to, especially, so, you know, one thing that changed this past year is that Apple mail made it so that you can't really track who's opening the emails that go to Apple mail and it's messed up metrics a little bit in terms of open rates. So what's more important these days than an open rate is a click rate. Mm -hmm. And if you have a smaller list, it can be difficult to gauge, like, like you said, if you're AB testing and you send out two different emails and you're only getting a handful of clicks on each, it's harder to test which messaging is working well. But if you have an interactive component, you can still see when somebody clicked on it people are more inclined to want to click on those interactive components because they don't feel like you're going to distract them by bringing them to another page, or it's just an easy question. It's not, you know, they don't have to commit any extra time to it, but you can use that to see, okay, this email actually got more engagement. This is, mm -hmm. this was the email that people liked more. That's an interesting, when you're talking about AB testing and knowing your audience, if Apple is preventing the ability, I, I imagine 
they're preloading all the images to one place. So it looks like everything opened the open tracking images is, is there um, to their IP. Um, if Apple's doing that, if you were sending out emails to clients and you sold cell phone accessories um, in your AB testing, you're going to get very non-useful information because the people who have iPhones, you're going to think are all acting one way. And the people who have Androids, you're going to get other information for, and it's basically worthless, open, you know, A-B testing your subject lines at that point, um, because it's just throwing it off so much. Usually it's pretty uh, uniform. It's random kind of, but in that case, again, if it's phone accessories, then it's very not random anymore uh, yeah. type, type of an issue. So that's, I guess, knowing your product and your customers type of a thing to watch out for. Yeah. Um, a couple more things that are popular this year um, with email is um, dark mode. So if you don't know what dark mode is, it's basically the ability to change your entire device from having everything be a light white color to having the background of everything be dark. I thought you were but, going dark, but uh, this is... <laughs> Um, it's just, a, it's just a mode that, um, a lot of people are choosing these days. I think it's only like 10% of people who use dark mode or even less, but it's increasing in popularity. And when you send an email out, the person receives it in dark mode. So, you know, you need to make sure that there's like a couple things like really contrast colors. So if the background of your email is white, you need to make sure that the text is dark because the dark mode will swap them. It'll swap the background to be black and then it'll swap the text to be white. But if you have like a sort of weird orange color in there, it might look kind of weird on a dark mode device. So- Be very hard to read too. Um, yeah. I've seen emails that had like a dark blue background and then a light blue font color. And it basically yeah. gives you a headache just to try to read the text. And it's like, I, yeah. I hope their goal was to give me a headache because that's all, unless they're selling aspirin, they failed with this email. Yeah. Another way you can fail with dark mode is, um, and I've, I've seen a lot of people do this. Um, if you have a logo or an image that you want to bring into an email and you just screenshot it and it's got a white, white background, that looks fine if the background of your email is white. But when they switch the email background to being dark, it shows a big bot, like they can see where you screenshot around right. the logo and it just is, it's kind of unprofessional. Or, I think dark mode device users are probably used to that, <laughs> but increasingly like you can actually capture more attention by optimizing your emails for dark. I mode. would say let's not optimize for dark mode because screw those guys. We're not, <laughs> they're not going to make us all... Those guys probably them. all like puns. Yeah, they probably all <laughs> like puns, dark mode. Like you got to jump when I say jump people. I guess we do want them to get our messaging. Uh, even more dangerous for dark mode than would probably be a monochrome logo. And you're thinking I'm going to get it to work on any background by using a uh, transparent GIF or a PNG file. When in reality, you're making your black logo um, disappear completely disappear. in the yeah. dark mode. So what you can do there is put a buffer around the logo, just circle it and then put a white, basically border around the entire logo. Um, and that should help you out. Yeah. 
And if you're having somebody make your logo, make sure that they make those versions for you. Yes. You need a drop shadow variation. You need a, uh, lots of different variations to, yeah. to work in any situation. Yeah. Um, another thing to think about dark mode users is they tend to be uh, the types of people who jump on board with new things quickly. Ooh. And that's an entire customer base that's actually really great, especially if you're a startup, especially if you're just getting going and you want to capture those people who are going to be the first people in the door trying out your thing, then you definitely want to make sure that you're optimizing your emails for them. Interesting. So dark mode's an indicator that they're an early adopter, a beta user, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So that could actually, if you could somehow identify them, uh, do something with it, a transparent uh, image so only they see it. Uh. <laughs> you can actually, uh, if you really want to go deep on this, which I just, I think for most people, it doesn't make sense, but you can um, completely code a different email for dark mode users. Oh, um, it will recognize. I was thinking you could make an image that is a transparent PNG over with, a white with text over, over white and it's black so that and it would say like only dark mode users will see this join our beta group here exclusive if you do that <laughs> if you do that again kelsey j at aweber.com please <laughs> tell me i want to hear if it worked and yeah. also do another one that's just a pun that only dark mode users will see so kelsey can get that too <laughs> <laughs> uh it is i i would also guess though that the dark mode users are even fewer and farther between at work so they might have dark mode on their personal devices. So if you, but if you're emailing businesses, but these are the kinds of things that if you get in and you start doing it early, it can differentiate you. It can give you right. the edge over your competitors. And it's, it may be a smaller percentage, but you're going to have massively more traction with them when you specifically cater to them. Yeah. The, the early adopter. I love that. Yeah. And then the last thing that I just wanted to bring up is, you know, something that's huge. We, talked about this tons already in the episode, but I just want to circle back around to it is talking like a human in your emails and really um, feeling like you're having a conversation. A lot of what email is doing these days is not just making sales, but also building relationships with your prospects and building communities, building group. Like if you are just selling a thing, that's one you know way to resonate with people via email. But if you're actually building a community around your expertise um, or your interests, then you can monetize in different ways like, you know, uh, affiliate links or, um, you know, different kinds of sales tactics, or you're selling a thing, but you build a community around it, which a lot of people are doing. Talking like a human in your emails can be just one of the best ways to have people feel like they know you. Yeah. Um, I've seen people go too far when they start the email with bro, 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 bro. <laughs> What's up? I'm like, okay, that's a little Make too Make sure you're human. a likable human. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Don't be a Jersey Shore human. <laughs> um, no, but the, the human part, I have seen one trick that, that seems fairly effective. It's pull, sucked me in a couple times and I'm like, ah, they got me again. Um, instead of having a full paragraph of text, they're breaking up each sentence into its own line with a space in between. And it almost reads like you're reading a book where people are having a conversation and they're putting the different characters on, on the next line. It also makes it really easy for you to read that one little blurb and it just like boil frogs you in there where you just keep 
okay, well, let me see what the one next sentence is. Oh, let me see that instead of seeing a big paragraph and moving on. Um, but it, it makes them feel more human too when they're when they're breaking the lines up like that. It's it's a gimmick, but damn it, it works. It keeps getting me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't be afraid to upset your English teacher in your emails. It'll work. <laughs> yeah. Um, if if your emails fail the Turing test, then you're not being human enough. Like you are a human. It shouldn't, you shouldn't come across as a bot. Uh, so yeah, yeah. The, the, the human part can never be overstated. So thank you for bringing that back around. I think that's a good thing to end on because sadly we had part one and now we don't have part two. We have parts two and three as one episode. <laughs> this just continues on. So this for anybody who made it through this far, congratulations. Got some great content here. Let's say for everybody, because you all made it through this far. Um, we just kept going and I looked down at the clock and said, oh my God, uh, this this was awesome. I am going to label this parts two and three because this is a when you get email episode. geeks together. We can't stop talking about it. We we could easily keep going. There are things we haven't touched on. I will put some content in the show links, our 10 keys to email marketing document, which is all about cold email marketing. Very different from what um, is done at Aweber. So, but it covers that um, marketing to non-opt-in contacts. Uh, has information on the Can Spam Act, which is very important. Uh, again, if you're using a platform like Aweber's and you have opt-in contacts, everything is almost everything's taken care of. Like you still need to not be deceptive in your subject line and, and in the body of your email. Other than that, I, I think it's all just cooked into the platform. Um, so as long as you aren't a jerk, you're covered. Uh, but that that's uh, stuff will all be in the show notes. Um, link to Kelsey's LinkedIn profile. You want to follow her there, send her some puns. She would appreciate those. And of course, aweber.com. Check out aweber. Anywhere else you'd like to throw out, Kelsey? Yeah. So Aweber has got a free version, which I recommend you try out. Um, and it's up to 500 subscribers. So a lot of the functionality, not all of it. Um, if you want to try out the pro version, uh, you can do your first month for free by going to aweber.aweber.com slash podcast. And you'll get a code there where you can uh, sign up for a free month and try out all that we have to offer. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. And I'm on Twitter at Kelsey Colorado. If you want to reach me there instead of LinkedIn. Kelsey Colorado. Awesome. All right. So uh, check out the show notes for this episode at ifyoumarket.com and uh, that they'll have more links and all the info on Kelsey Johnson there. And uh, thank you for, for listening to the show, for following us on social media, for giving us good reviews for all that you guys do uh, for, for the show. I'm talking to, to you listeners here and uh, on behalf of the If You Market team and Kelsey Johnson of AWeber, thank you for listening to the If You Market podcast, where we believe if you market the shit out of it with email, they will come. Are you looking for new leads or always in need of quality contacts for your marketing campaigns? But list companies and online tools are the worst, right? Well, then you've got to check out Top Data Search by Mountaintop Data. At Mountaintop Data, we're a team of weird people that actually like getting our hands dirty with sales and marketing data, and we specialize in business contact information. We compile and maintain a database of tens of millions of targeted, high-quality business decision makers with emails, phone numbers, mailing address, and all the information you need. Go to topdatasearch.com and request a free account with the promo code IYM1000, like if you market the podcast here, 
and get a free account with unlimited searches, no seat fees, and 1,000 free record download credits. That's topdatasearch.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.